Good morning. Uh, today's scripture is Matthew 16, 24 through 28. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The word of the Lord. Happy Father's Day to you guys. Um, this is uh, my first Father's Day as a dad. And a uh, funny story, yesterday Reagan was so excited to get me a gift that uh, she burst in during the middle of servant prep and she's like, did you get your socks? Did you get your socks? Okay, she didn't say it like that, but like, <laughs> it felt like that, right? And so I, I am wearing my socks today and they have uh, Judah and Ezra on them. <laughs> They're not with us. Oh, I mean, one of them is with us today. Ezra wasn't feeling well and so hi, Ezra. <laughs> They're at home right now with Reagan, so. Um, but anyways, happy Father's Day to those that, of you that are dads and to those of you that have been a father to somebody in your life. And, um, whoa. <laughs> the wind. Excuse me for one second. <laughs> Thanks, man. I know some of you guys don't know this about me, but um, I used to serve overseas with uh, my wife in Thailand. And uh, one of the memories that I've had, not in Thailand, but one of the most difficult memories that I've had in terms of missions was actually our first, my first mission trip during college. And this was super difficult. I'd say it's pretty, pretty hard, but I say having twins now <laughs> might be a little harder. <laughs> but it was hard for me because it was a very painful time. Um, I would argue that um, it was hard because it was the first time that I really had to wrestle with the question of what does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean that now I have to say no to, right? It was the summer of my sophomore year that I felt like that God was really calling me to go to um, Nicaragua and to do something radical there. And I decided to sign up for this trip. It was my first mission trip, my first time getting a passport, my first time going overseas, my first time leaving the U.S., um, but it was hard because it cost me my relationship with my parents. Um, it was really painful. And for a season, I actually couldn't come home. Uh, my parents were pretty disappointed. And my dad actually told me that, you know, you're not, you're not a son of mine. You know, if you're going to try to do this type of stuff, no son of mine would do this. And so you're not really my son. I was their eldest son. And they had a very simple dream for me. You know, uh, work hard have a comfortable life, get married, stay as close as you can be, and maybe some of you here have that dream for your children. And as someone who has grown up in an Eastern background, um, family is everything, right? But also having been born in the U.S., I've also been exposed to, as you guys know, a very individualized culture out here. It's hard for us that have grown out here and for myself to really reconcile, like, how do I reconcile the two? You know, do I honor my parents? Or do I just, you do you, right? Do I just do what I want? The passage that we're exploring today seems like God is really calling us to do neither. 
Today's passage is a challenging one because it runs against the grain of what we've been brought up with. Whether we grew up in the church or outside the church, there's a little bit of something to offend everybody today. It requires us not to just think deeply. It also tells us to live wholeheartedly. And that's really hard. You know, we like to give God 10% if we give anything at all. But to ask us to give 100%, that's, that's really tough. It's a bit much, isn't it? But Matthew 16, 24 to 28 shows us just that. Jesus doesn't hold back when talking to his disciples about the reality of following him. And now that we're starting to see things return back to normal, what does it look like for us to be disciples of Christ? What does it mean for us to simply be a member of this community in this post-vaccinated period? And as you guys are following along and taking notes, I'm just covering three simple questions. What does it take to be a disciple of Christ? Why is denying ourselves so hard? And why is it worth it? So take, take a look at the first question. What does it take to be a disciple of Christ? In verse 24, we see it says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Right? So right off the bat, we see from this verse that the person that follows Christ wants or desires to deny themselves. But how far does this denial actually go? Let's take a look even further in verse 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. I think one commentator says this, and it's really helpful. Taking up the cross means picking up the horizontal bar of the cross, carrying it through the streets from the place of judgment to the place of execution, and enduring the insults of people along the way. To do thus as following Jesus signifies open allegiance to Jesus, the crucified one. Such allegiance will expose one to the hostility of the world and entail the risk of losing one life as he lost his. That's a call that none of us want to take on a, on a good day. All of us here, some of us here think that church is a place that where we get our needs from God and we move on with our lives. We get salvation and we get community. We get our personal life coach named Darian or Eric or Steve or Eddie. We get support groups. We get friendships. We get free childcare. We sometimes get free donuts and we used to get hipster coffee. And we have a network for business. We get to hear a positive uplifting message and we get to be reminded of how much God loves us all in the hopes that he can give us what we want, which is a safe, comfortable, successful life. But is this what church is all about? Is this why we show up every single Sunday and worship and then go home and live as if nothing's happened to us? It doesn't appear like that. It doesn't appear that, that at all from what God is saying here. And in fact, he's calling Christians to die. And if you are a Christian here today, the expectation for you is to live in such a way that not only are you willing to give up your Sunday, you're willing to give up your life. And this means that your plans would have to die. Your plan for an early retirement, your plan for a late retirement, your plan for a stable career in medicine, your plan to take less medicines, 
Your plan to have many babies. Your plan to have no babies. Your plan for getting into the best college that you can get into. Your plan simply to stay with your parents forever. When we say yes to Jesus, this means that it's no longer I that lives, we that live, but Christ alone that lives. And this means that it's all about Christ. And so church is really learning about how to follow Jesus to death. And now you might be saying for a second, wait a minute, it's Father's Day. I came here for an encouraging message because it's hard at home. Encourage me, dang it. <laughs> but you know what? Life's too short. You and I don't know when we're going to die. You and I don't know when we'll walk away from our careers. And you and I don't know how long this pandemic will come back. Well, let me tell you why also it's so hard for us to be self-deniers. Why is denying ourselves so hard? And I think one of the most disappointing things for me during this pandemic, and maybe you guys feel the same, is seeing so many Christian brothers and sisters do the opposite of this. From us looking into mainstream culture and comparing it to mainstream Christian culture, there seems to be a singular thread that is the same. And that people don't want to deny themselves. In fact, it's anti-American whether it's gun rights or gender rights, to deny our own understanding and what it means to uphold our own personal values is wrong. But what if, what if our values means that we are to love those who hate us, love those who would do anything in our power to strip us of any power? What if it means that we believe actually means that we are to love our enemy and pray for those that persecute us? I was talking to a few Christians recently when we were flying over to Oklahoma to visit family about some of the trends that now we're facing in California. Uh, in the Tustin School District where uh, Reagan and I live, uh, school teachers now, and perhaps some of you guys already know this, are allowed to pass out diagrams that show uh, how children can be who they want to be. It's an image of a unicorn that gives five unique categories to express themselves. Gender identity, gender expression, sex assigned at birth, physically attracted to, and emotionally attracted to. And children are allowed to pick and choose who they want to be. I think the LA Times writes about this, and it gives a clearer explanation. And it says this, the idea is that kids who spend the first few years of their lives without the stereotype loaded labels of boy and girl will feel free to be their most authentic selves, whether they're boys who like to play house, or girls who want to play with chemistry kits. To present a parent who supports this perspective, she says this, gender-creative parenting does not mean gender-neutral, they emphasize, nor does it mean assigning non-binary identity to Azul. This is her child. It's not about encouraging Azul to be transgender, gay, or contrarian. It's about giving Azul the foundation to think critically about how dynamics of gender play out in our society and the freedom to figure out how, without being told, who they should be based on their biological sex. So I know this is interesting because as a, as a culture, we've done a pretty good job with erasing our moral law. I think we're on the precipice right now of now slowly allowing the physical boundaries, the physical biological law to also disappear as well. I know this might be a shock to some of you to hear this, 
But is it really that much different than any of us? This group that has been described here may have deformities in their understanding of gender, but how many of us have deformities in our understanding of marriage? How many of us have deformities in the way that we treat our spouses? How many of us have deformities in the way that we treat our children? How many of us have deformities in how we love those who hurt us? And at the end of the day, it really is about the idea of, I do what I want. You don't tell me what to do. Those on the right would say, you don't tell me what to do with my property, my land, my family. And those on the left would say, you don't tell me what to do with my body, my sexuality, my identity, my ed education. And both would say, how dare you interrupt my journey to a comfortable, safe, successful American life? Friends, that's just two sides of the same coin. And you know why? It's because denying ourselves is not natural. And you know what? The saddest thing about this isn't even because of how messed up our county is or our country is or our state, but how Christians are. It was really hard during this pandemic to see so many pastors fall. We discovered that Ravi Zacharias was involved in multiple sex scandals, Mark Driscoll's church still riddled with abuse, and another pastor who Reagan and I really respect in LA was defrocked in our denomination. And a pastor acquaintance of mine in Boston was caught mismanaging funds and pocketing some of the mon money while paying his staff an unlivable wage. All this to say is that the call to deny themselves or to deny oneself is not only hard for the regular churchgoer, it's hard for small group leaders it's hard for deacons, it's hard for deaconesses, it's hard for, yes, missionaries and also pastors. It's hard for everyone because at the end of the day, friends, the truth and the reality is that we are sinners and we're broken. And instead of loving others like Christ called us to love, we love ourselves. Because being selfish and self-centered is at the end of the day natural. Now that I have two infant boys, and this is probably one of the few examples I'll ever talk about them, because <laughs> they're still young. <laughs> but now that I have infant boys, I have a straight front row street to human depravity. I see it every day. <laughs> and one of the purest ways to observe unbridled human depravity and selfishness is to watch little children. <laughs> they know the concept of mine way before they know the word, hey, can I share with you? Judah and Ezra naturally make dem demands without any thought about me or Reagan or how am I doing. You know, Judah, you know, loves to eat. He'll eat so much so fast that if we're still eating him, he sees Reagan and I still feeding ourselves. He wants that too. And Ezra, he has a particular way of being held. And if I held him in the horizontal position and not portrait, he'll get mad and he'll scream his head off until I get it right. But you know what? I really, really love my sons. And, and I found out that in the midst of seven months so far <laughs> and more to go, that Reagan and I are no different. You know, Reagan and I get hangry when we don't eat. We get agitated when last minute things come up right before we walk out of the door. And I just want to, 
Oh my gosh, it's the hardest when we jump into life decisions at 11 p.m. when I want some sleep. You know, I grow impatient, fearful, irritated, and unkind in these moments. And it's not like anybody taught me that. It's not like my parents, when I was five, pulled me aside and said, hey, when these moments happen with your wife, be a jerk. Right? No, <laughs> no parent in their mind would teach their child to misbehave. We just do it because we love it. Right? And I think, you know, what's interesting is that now with two little ones, Reagan and I are like two cups of black sewage just ready to spill over at the slightest tap. And I think the Apostle Paul says it very clearly in Romans 7, verses 15 to 19. He says this, I do not understand what I do, for I, what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And I do not do what I want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And most of us pretend here that it isn't there. We want to think that, hey, you know, I know we're bad, but we're not that bad. You know, all of us try to be better, but at the end of the day, we all struggle. And most of us like to think that we can probably make it through on our own. You know, we're pretty good. We're good Christians. But good according to who? And self-denial is really difficult because it looks different for every situation. Self-denial requires a lot of intentionality and wisdom. And sometimes we can justify ourselves by being self-denial as a righteous position because in reality, we just want to deny ourselves because we fear conflict. We become cowardly and we surrender and become a living doormat because all we want to do is preserve harmony. And yes, as humans, we are self-focused, but there are times that we have to be careful if our situation warrants for a particular type of self-denial. Sometimes self-denial looks like being more vocal about a situation. And you might risk your safety, your job, you know, your, just, the, just by sharing the truth. You know, Rachel DeHollander, if you guys don't know, she spoke up against her abuser, Larry Nasser. Terry Crews spoke up about his sexual assault. And our God is a God of justice. And so ultimately, whatever sin that happens underneath the sun will be answered for. Cases of sexual abuse or physical abuse, cases of inappropriate behaviors from your bosses, clear things that are hurting your family, this, friends, is a tricky one. And as someone who's worked in an abusive corporate environment in the past, I have fooled myself oftentimes into situations that I think are self-denying, but I've pretty much just enabled my abuser. And now the short answer is there isn't one. Right? There is no short answer for what self-denial looks like because every situation is unique and there's so many examples of what that could look like. Perhaps after the service is over and you guys are having lunch, maybe you can turn to your spouses, your kids, and ask them, what does self-denial look like to you? And what's the point of your self-denial, right? 
It all has to do with our hearts. Because are you doing it for you? Or are you doing it for Christ? There's a song that I recently listened to by a beautiful eulogy. And it really, really rocked me. It made me check my own heart. And it says this, or it sings this. If in one unfortunate moment you took everything that I own, everything that you've given me from heaven above and everything that I've ever known, you stripped away my ministry, my influence, my reputation, my health, my happiness, my friends, my pride, my expectation, if you cause me for, for me to suffer or to suffer for the cause of the cross, if the cost of my allegiance is prison and all my freedoms are lost, if you take the breath from my lungs and make an end of my life, if you take the most precious part of me and take my kids and my wife, it would crush me, it would break me, it would suffocate and cause heartache, it would taste a bitter dark providence, but you would still preserve my faith. And what's concealed in the heart of having is revealed in the losing of things. So friends, how about you? Are there things in your heart right now that you're not willing to give up? But why? Giving up things are so, it's so hard. But yet, in this passage, we hear today that it's worth it. So why is it? Why is it worth it? Let's take a look at this passage again. Verse 25 says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? And what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You know, when I was preparing for this message, I was thinking, like, how on earth can you lose your life and still find it? You know, I, I've been a Christian for a second, but I still struggle with this. And it doesn't make any sense. How can you die and all of a sudden gain? And the truth is, the truth is this. The truth is that when this life starts, it ends the same way. You and I come into this world with nothing. We're just naked. And when we leave this world, we leave with nothing. Everything stays in this world. This means that every accolade that you gain, every family, everything that you built your career around will zero out. Your name will be gone in a couple hundred years. And I was thinking about all the awesome brands that we experience now today, right? Tesla, Apple. But you guys know what the number one brand in the world is? Does anybody know? Anybody? It's Coke. You'll find Coke in every country on the planet. You know, when we were in Thailand, we saw it. When I was in Nicaragua, we saw it. But I don't even know who made it, but I enjoy it. We love that stuff, but yet at the end of the day, you know, someone's going to forget it after a couple hundred years, you know. But how about a more modern example? You know, if you guys are... Uh, following investments and reading about cryptocurrency and the latest thing that's happening in the markets. Uh, you know, you, you can't help but cross over with the greatest investor right now, right? The tech billionaire, Bill Gates and Melinda Gates. Bill and Melinda Gates are getting a divorce. I mean, they're the world's richest couple, and, and yet Bill, even though he has the world in his fingertips, his marriage is fading. His reputation is failing. And soon after that, it may be another 20, 30 years, his account will zero to nothing. You and I are in the same boat. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 15 to 17 says this, and I think it captures it really well. It says, as a man came from his mother's womb, 
so he will depart again, naked as we he arrived, and he takes nothing for his labor to carry in his hands. This too is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, so he will depart. What does he gain as he toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness with much sorrow, sickness, and anger. Friends, it doesn't have to be this way. And for the single greatest reason why I think self-denial is worth it is because at the end of the day, even if we lose everything, we still have God. We still have a dad. We have a dad that's better than any earthly dad that we've had because he's with us. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what they have done. And truly, I tell you, some of you who are standing here would not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the promise, friends, that God will be with us. And another pastor said it this way, in the end, God will reward us for what we have done. Eternal life matters more than our temporary lives in this age. I once shared Christ with an associate who cared deeply for his friends, prompting him to consider that eternal life is far greater than any other thing that he can offer them. But he could not give what he did not himself have. God's spirit prompted him to forsake the status and worldly plans, and he became a committed Christian who has touched countless lives since that day. John dared to believe that God's eternal riches outweigh any cost in the present, so he became a true disciple of Christ. And yet how few disciples we have. And except for going to church, paying tithes, and many Christians today do with their time and money much of the same way as any moral morally upright non-Christian does. And I know that I, Reagan, the boys, they will all die eventually. Naked I come, naked I go. And some of you here know that you don't have much longer to go. And instead of fearing death, instead of worrying about enjoying this life before it robs us of any pleasure that this world can provide, it's worth it because whether you like it or not, you will be denied of something in this life. You know, you do it out of joy or you do it out of obligation. But you know what? I'm not going to try to scare you guys today. I'm not going to give you all the reasons for why God will punish you if you don't deny yourself. And I'm not going to give you a ridiculously amazing reason of, 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 of grandeur to incentivize you to throw away for Christ because there's a massive reward at the end of the day. Though in this passage today, we do see that God promises a reward. That's not what I want to do. Actually, if you guys have been following along with the news, you guys know that uh, a, a few states are throwing uh, vaccination lotteries. You guys know about that? Um, so in, in order to incentivize people to vaccinate the state of Ohio and also California, but I know about the state of Ohio, they, before they did it, they, they had normal rates of vaccination, but after they said that, hey, whoever gets vaccinated gets entered into this lottery, you get a million dollars or your like, school get paid off with some like, scholarship money. And it jumped in 28%. That's amazing, right? All of a sudden, people cared about their neighbors and they wanted to care about, is it that though? 
most of us wouldn't do certain things until we're incentivized to do something. And so I, I don't want us to think about those fears, right? Right? I don't want to play uh, to two of our greatest insecurities, that is the fear of punishment or the fear of missing out, FOMO, right? And if any of our, us get caught up with either fear of losing the great reward at the end of time or the fear of being punished at the end of the time, your heart and my heart will remain the same. And God's not interested in that. You know, he's not interested in you, you and I continuing to be living in fear. He's interested in giving you and me a new heart. And a heart that is ever so rejoicing that at the end of the day, at the end of time when we die, we still have him. Because there is no fear in love. Right? But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And the one that fears has not been made perfect by love. So, friends, we are to deny ourselves out of joy by the experiencing the love of Christ when we receive it in faith. We believe him at his word. Right? We follow him. We choose to reorient all of our actions, our desires, and our decisions towards the things he's called us to do. And that is when we start to see that it's worth it. But faith precedes sight. And that's everything in this life. Everything that you guys have ever done, everything new thing that you've ever tried, every school, every food, everything, it comes with first stepping out in faith. You don't know if this restaurant is good. You don't know if that professor is good. You don't know if that person's a good friend or not. There's always a risk. But God's promise comes back never empty-handed. And you know, the most encouraging thing is that, friends, we should be thrilled to do this because the one that was willing to deny himself thought it was worth it. He denied himself for us, even though when we were still enemies. For just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And very rarely would anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, anyone might possibly dare to die. But God proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, if you feel weighty today or exhausted, it's okay. You know, if you're, not unsure, if you're unsure about your faith and conviction of where you stand with Christ, I just want to say this. He loves you regardless of what decision you make. And the reality is, when we do make this decision for him, there's no better place to look than in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 to see what actually happens to us. And it says this to the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking bread and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs and performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property, their possessions, and to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily 
those who are being saved. Friends, God is a good God, and let us submit ourselves to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today um, that we uh, oftentimes, we struggle, Father. We struggle to believe that you are a good Father who is willing to provide for all of us, uh, that's providing all the things that we need from a daily basis. We know because our engine light comes on all the time with anxiety, of worry, of stress, high blood pressure, all the sorts of signs that you show us in our lives that we can't do it by ourselves. So, Lord, I ask us today um, that you would give us strength, um, help us to uh, really rest in your truth, help us to see that you are the great self-denier. You've denied yourself so that we would live. Help us to deny ourselves so that others would live. Thank you so much for today, Father. Thank you so much for um, guiding us um, today. And we ask that you would just watch over us, watch over our families, be with the dads, give them extra strength to love their families today. And uh, thank you so much for um, how you've loved us in Christ. Let's pray. In Jesus' name, amen.